Welcome to the Progressaholic Podcast. At Progressaholic, we highlight stories of individuals dedicated to the progress of self and society to educate you on creating impact within yourself and the communities that you operate in. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to the Progressaholic Podcast. This is your host, Devesh Tilokani. And today we have with us Dave Lowell. Now, Dave is a certified financial planner and financial coach for millennials. He is passionate about helping young people sort through their own false beliefs and improve their relationship with money, along with helping them create a money strategy for their lives. He has worked with thousands of people sorting through their financial struggles and is actively engaged in bringing financial literacy to high schools across the US. Now, I really wanted to bring someone on that could speak to the topic of financial literacy, as that is something that has piqued my interest recently, especially after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. One of the best things about Dave is that he focuses on millennials. Now, most financial planners and coaches tend to focus on people that are a lot more older, but Dave's focus and work with millennials makes his work all the more impactful. Therefore, it is my pleasure to welcome Dave on the Progressaholic Podcast. From studying Arabic, um, I remember on our intro call, we spoke about this. You study Arabic in Jordan um, and sort of becoming a financial coach. Those things don't line up to me personally. Uh, so how did that transition happen? And then like, how did you maybe personally even get involved in the financial planning space in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. So much for a, for a bachelor's degree, right? Like <laughs> I'm just going to go completely 180. So I love Arabic as a language. I love languages. I love learning them. And I was really interested in working in the embassies around the world and taking my fraud. I've lived abroad for many years in a num- number of different countries. And um, so I want my kids to have that experience and everything. But as I got to, I would say like the last year of my degree, maybe even the last semester, I, I was just thinking a lot about money and wealth and what the kind of life that I wanted for my family and the kind of wealth that we needed to provide that lifestyle. And as I thought more about that, I decided, you know what, I can't just go get a job and just trust me. Like I've got to be very proactive and figure out how to build wealth, like how to invest, right? What are all the tips and tricks and hacks that I should be using to minimize taxes, grow wealth, like all of these things. I just, I, I didn't know anything. And so my last semester of college, I started looking around. I had a connection and I got a job at a large investment firm. And basically they paid me and trained me and licensed me. And then they paid me to help other people with their money problems. And so essentially it was like, I did it all for me initially, right? Like I wanted the knowledge for me. It's a very selfish thing, you know, but, but that's initially where I went into it. And they're like, Hey, they're going to pay me to learn. It's like reverse college where I paid them to teach me. Now they're paying me and they're teaching me like, this is a great deal. So as I, as time went on though, and I learned these things and I, I did, I became, I just, I was like a sponge, right? I soaked up everything that I could. I asked everybody questions about this and that. And after helping thousands of people, I realized, Hey, I'm not the only one in this stuff. Like I'm not the only one that has these questions and I soaked it up and I kind of have a knack for it and I'm very passionate about it. And that's when I kind of made the career shift. And I said, you know what, I'm going to teach people how to be successful with their money. And that, so that's how it started, right? That's how I got into the, to the money and advising industry. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the impact you've had is just incredible over these years. So that's incredible to see. And talking about the impact that Dave's had, I want to be like, I always hold myself to a degree of honesty and transparency with the audience. And I just want to say is we're recording this the second time around. <laughs> we recorded this for about 45 minutes before. I forgot to press the button record. Completely my fault. 100% accountability on that. But Dave was kind enough to, I hope he's forgiving me, <laughs> um, and to record it right after again. So if you're listening to this, hold on to every single second um, because we're recording this again. So that's an hour and a half because we really wanted to provide value to you guys. And Dave's kind enough to do that. So Dave, I just want to say thank you so much on the recording as a whole. So absolutely. I appreciate that. And honestly, like, first of all, it's too bad because they missed out on all the secrets of the universe in that, in that <laughs> first unrecorded. So hopefully we can still provide some of those. But honestly, like, I care so much about this. And if this if this impacts one person to change the way they think about money and make it right, like I know that's going to impact them, their family, you know, the f their future generations, yeah. that's worth it. That's what I care about. So I'm happy to be on and, and share what little bit I know about money. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks Dave. And guys, if I seem a little all over the place because I'm still dealing with the emotions and sort of uh, getting up to speed, but I'm back, I'm good and I'm ready to get into this. Uh, so yeah, Dave, I wanted to speak a little more about the millennial aspect because that's something that you focus on as a financial coach with a lot of people do not focus on. Um, yeah. Especially when I was in a personal financial planning course in university and we spoke about this where it was only 150 students that could get in for a 40,000 university this. And the wait, waiting list was like crazy. And the fact that I got in was like some sort of like divine intervention you could sit. <laughs> um, what's the importance of a millennial especially um, focusing on their fin building their financial wealth, especially in an early age. Yeah. I think um, what's important here is the financial industry has changed so much, you know, where your parents, or maybe your grandparents, like they didn't have all of these options. They had their employer, their employer provided a pension for them. They were going to get their social security. All they had to do was kind of live within their means and they would have enough money, right, for their lives. And now as the time has gone on, right, you add in all of these complex types of mortgages, you add in credit cards, different types of credit cards, um, you add in all these different types of accounts, right? Now we've got Bitcoin. Should you go crypto? Like, should you invest in crypto? Should you use Robinhood and start trading? Like the financial world is so much more complex and the education system certainly has not kept up with that. And previous generations just didn't have to deal with it, right? Like, they couldn't teach their kids about some of these things and they can't have honest conversations about it. So, so it's left like millennials are kind of just this lost generation where all of a sudden things got really complex but also nobody was there to help them. And it's scary. It's scary for them. And I, I, one of the failings of the financial industry is that there are two ways, financial advisors are like the ones you would go to for money advice, right? Like that's, you think money advice, you're like, oh, I got to see a financial advisor. The problem is most financial advisors, the way the industry is set up, they make money two ways. One is they sell a commission or they sell a product and earn a commission, a percentage of the assets invested, okay? So the more money invested, the bigger the commission, okay? Second way is they charge an annual recurring percentage uh, fee to manage your investments on an ongoing basis, one to 2% a year. So if you, if you think about the way that makes money, if you're an advisor, are you gonna go help the millennial 
or even Gen Z, if we're getting into Gen Z now, but are you going to help that millennial that's got $50,000 to invest where maybe you're going to earn, uh, I don't know, $500 that year, right? Out of fees. Or are you going to spend your time with a person that's got a million dollars and you can earn $10,000? It's just the incentives are you help the people that already have money. And so you have this whole group that's just left in the cold, like, well, we need help. We need advice. We don't have the money yet. That's what we're trying to do, right? Like we're trying to get there. And so they're kind of a lost generation. The biggest thing though is time is the greatest asset in any aspect of our life, right? Time dedicated to things that we care about and investing is no different. And the sooner you invest, the exponentially better off you will be. Do the math, Google it, you'll see charts. If you start investing at 30 versus 40, X number of dollars more than what, what you would have if you started later. And so the sooner, so I'm like, okay, if I can help people in their 20s, figure this out now, they're gonna have millions more by the time they're like average retirement age, like millions, literally, there's yeah. no exaggeration. Yeah. And so if, if younger people really get serious about wealth building, they it pays off in spades. So that's what I'm dedicated to and doing. Beautifully put. And I remember one of my uh, professors mentioned this to me, a uh, personal financial professor. If you start saving in your 20s, save 20%. If you start saving in your 30s, 30%. If you save in your 40s, 40, 50, or even 60%. Like, I don't know like the exact math on that. I don't know if it's correct or not, but he just said he was trying to show us that like the later you start saving, the more you need to save percentage of your income. So I think that's the key idea about trying to save as early as possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, yeah, I can't remember the exact math either. I don't have the charts in front of me. Yeah. But there's something basically like if you save like $1,000 a year between the time you're 20 and 30, yeah. so you save for 10 years and then you stop saving, right? The money you've saved is just invested. Yeah. You're going to end up having more money by the time you're 60 or 65 than somebody that started saving at age 40 and saves $1,000 a year all the way till 65. Wow. Right? Like, I don't know the exact numbers, but the principles there, like compound growth. Ben Franklin says, is, like, the sixth wonder of the world. Okay? <laughs> Something like that. Okay. And it's because it is, it's just magical, right? It's like that. Maybe you've heard this. Um, would you rather take a million dollars? Give you two options, right? I'll give you a million dollars, or I'll give you a dollar doubled every day for 30 days. Definitely number two. That's because I've, I've read Rich Dad Poor Dad. But if I haven't, I would have said number one for sure. Right, exactly. And you don't think like you would have more than a million dollars after 30 days. Like our minds can't compute compound interest, like the exponential growth. Yeah. And so when you're younger, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it has the biggest impact mm-hmm. if you start earlier. Yeah. So it, it's, it's wild. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm a big fan of like scenarios and sort of just giving examples. So let's say you're, cause like a lot of our decent amount of our audience is pretty young. Um, yeah. Let's say you're 20, you've just graduated from university. You're starting off in the workforce. Um, how would you like take yourself back to when you were 22? How would you sort of go about it with like your saving, your spending and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so for me, right. And my goals are different than somebody else's goals. Right. But, but my goal is creating time autonomy. Time autonomy is at a premium. Like I said, time is a valuable asset, right? So I don't necessarily need a lot of money. I would like a lot of time and you can have both. Okay. And so if I were 22 starting out with that in mind, you know, understanding that I didn't understand that at 22, I didn't understand it yet. 
But if I could go back, basically what I'd start doing is I would be taking whatever salary I had, right? I got a job or whatever. I would take whatever salary I had. I would keep my expenses to a minimum and I would use everything else to start building assets, income producing assets. So that would be either real estate, right? Like I might go and buy a duplex, live in one half, rent out the other half, live there for a couple of years, turn around, do it again. Then I've got my duplex, two rental units, I live in another duplex, right? Or a fourplex or something like that's one way to start building assets that are generating income. A lot of people have done real estate like that, right? It's no secret, but that would be one way to achieve maximum time autonomy. Another way would be take that money and invest in myself in terms of building a business, a business that would allow me to have my time autonomy and do what I like doing or what I'm good at doing at the same time while I'm building my assets along the way. Yeah. Right. So I don't have to wait till I'm 50 to start living a life. I can live my life now while I'm building my asset, which is my business. Yeah. So if you want to retire at 65, right, just like you love your career, you love your field, you're happy with that. Start putting 10 to 20% in your 401k yeah. and don't go crazy in debt. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's it. You'll get there. Right. So it all depends on like, what do you want in the end? What are you trying? What are you working towards? And that's going to, and then you reverse engineer it. Yeah. It's going to totally change the decisions you make right, right now. Yeah. You so you spoke about real estate and you spoke about investing in yourself business with the third be then stocks and bonds then or. Yep. Okay. Yep. Those are the three ways. Three ways. Stocks and bonds. There's, there's a lot of ways you can make money in the, in paper assets is what they're called. Right. In like the, the traditional markets, stock and bond markets, ETFs, mutual funds. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to make money. People are really creative. Right. And wall street makes a lot of money. Yeah. for a good reason, right? They're very creative. Um, and so I, I would say, I would say generally that's probably the slowest way to build your wealth. Um, because traditionally, right. If you look back over time, S and P 500 averages like eight and a half to 9% a year yeah. and you don't have to do anything, right? It's like completely passive. So if you're going to do that, that's fine. It's just going to take a long time for you to build up significant wealth. Yeah. If you start early, then that's okay. You got the time. You can afford it. There's a lot of ways to earn other money in the market, but that requires much more active engagement, much more of your time. And so your reward potential goes up because you're, you're putting in a lot of sweat equity to it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, those are the three real estate, entrepreneurship and, yeah. and stocks, bonds. Type yeah. thing. And then would you maybe look at like, like you said, as it like, what do you actually want? So for example, if I want to have maximized wealth, I don't want to like, for example, for me, at least I don't see myself working in a job until I'm 65 and then dying in a job. Basically I'm not trying to, you know, shit on anyone. Like it's everyone to themselves. This is how I see myself. And yeah. for me, it's more about how do I maximize the amount that I'm giving back to the world. So for me, would you say maybe just to give an example, would like investing in myself and a business be like the most exponentially great growth compared to real estate and stocks or maybe having a balance of three? I mean, you've got to concentrate in one area to start, like whatever's going to give you the most leverage to create the most wealth. That's where you go all in on, you know? So like, if you think about Howard Schultz, for example, right? Starbucks. Yeah. Imagine if, he, instead of investing back into his business to open up the third and fourth and fifth Starbucks location, imagine if he just started investing in stocks, like what would have happened? Like Starbucks would not be what it is today. Right. So he took, he took and he reinvested back into his highest growth opportunity, Mm. which was his business. 
Yeah. And now if you look at him now, right, he's a billionaire. Okay. Where do you think his money is? Well, I, I can probably guarantee that it's diversified across those three areas. He's got some in stocks and bonds. He's got some in real estate and he's got some in his Starbucks, obviously, but also private equity, right? Other companies, startups, things like that. Like he's definitely diversified now. I don't have firsthand knowledge or anything. I'm not that cool, but that that's how it is. Like concentrate to get rich, diversify to stay rich is an old adage. Concentrate to get rich, diversify to stay rich. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's the quote of the podcast right there. <laughs> that's it. Um, and I want to speak maybe a little more on the mindset aspect because, uh, I feel like a lot of 22 year olds going to the workforce or starting their own businesses or whatever, like all the tips and tricks are sort of out there in the books in the courses and all that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times, and I'm sure like for you as well, as a coach, you're working on the mindset aspect. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. You can correct me, but maybe what's like one of the things to sort of look at or be careful with when you're looking at sort of like your mindset aspect. Yeah, this is huge. Um, I would say this is more important than the actual, nuts and bolts of money management and investing (laughs) hands down it's more important and it's not like the it's not like the mystical woohoo like i just believe and money will manifest itself yeah like that that could be valid maybe it is maybe it's not but mindset is extremely important there was some nobel prize winning research in 2002 Uh, an economist named Daniel Kahneman. And he found the prevailing economic theory was that people will act financially, they will do what's in their own best interest. So they act completely rationally to do what's in their own best interest at all times, at any given given time. And he blew that theory up. (laughs) And what he found is that when we make financial decisions, 90% of that decision is actually based on emotion. And only 10% is based on rational thinking or logic. Like, think about that for a minute. Money is not the place where you want to be making emotional decisions, right? Like, that's where people spend on credit cards, like going shopping sprees, right? Or go out of, like, you can just see it in TV and in the movies and stuff, like what happens. And so the reason it's so important is because what, what causes our behaviors, what drives our behaviors are subconscious habits and belief. That's it. And we have certain beliefs, experiences with money, and those on a subconscious level affect what we do with our money. And if you never conquer those and you don't have great beliefs about money, you will be stuck forever. Doesn't matter if you know you should save 10%. Doesn't matter if you know you shouldn't have credit card debt. Doesn't matter if you know exactly how to invest to bring success. You can know all of those things and still not do any of them. Interesting. Right? Yeah. We do that with health all the time. We all know we should exercise regularly <laughs> and eat, you know, cut back on, you know, refined sugar, mm. but we don't do it generally speaking. So it's like the gap between knowing and doing is these subconscious beliefs about money. Mm. And until you become aware of those and can work your way through them and create kind of a new money identity, your behaviors will keep you stuck where you are forever or where your family has been like typically we see it a generational thing um in in regards to like socioeconomic status so yeah Yeah. i love one of the 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 money identity aspect because i know that you spoke about it when you linkedin articles you know bad with my ears making this key mistake and i'm gonna be honest i had this realization in the pre and the 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 other one which didn't which we didn't record where it was like i sort of realized that why am i so sometimes conservative with my money 
or why do I sometimes feel really guilty about spending money? Mm-hmm. And it sort of went back to sort of the early days after the 2008 crisis where my family wasn't in the best financial position, which meant that although my parents never showed it on their faces, as a kid, you sort of pick up social cues at times. There's like, like, it's just like small cues that you pick up. Oh yeah. Like, okay. Like my parents won't tell me anything, but I still want to be a supportive son. So I'm just not going to like try my best to spend money, you know? And I've sort of seen that when like, I would go out for dinners with, with friends, like I'll look at like, what's like, it's, it's hard for me to even admit it right now, but it's like, I would look at like, what's like the cheapest menu on the item that I could get. Or if the food was too expensive and I know my parents, if they heard this right now, they'd be pretty upset at me because they always told me spend as spend whatever you want, you know, we're here to provide for you. Um, I would always order like, the cheapest item or if the cheapest item, like if the item was too expensive, like the food item, I would just order like something to drink instead, you know? So it's interesting that like while we were talking, went through this whole like past, you can say like past time regression or whatever. And yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting experience for me at least. Dude, this is real. This is real stuff. I hope your audience knows how amazing that just was because it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to be completely honest with yourself about why you believe what you believe. Because yeah. you might risk finding out something that is uncomfortable. Usually you do. Or you might risk the fact that you might be wrong about some of your beliefs. And nobody likes to be wrong, right? So it's like a scary thing to analyze and like self-assess and and like, thank you for being so vulnerable right now and doing that. It, it is. It's not easy to talk about because these are things that are deeply tied to emotion. They're deeply tied to circumstances and situations that, that are very intimate, very personal. But that is exactly what every one of us has to do if we're going to change our trajectory. And the beliefs you had, right, about I'm going to... I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be a good son. I'm going to try and spend the least amount possible. That was a good belief. Like that's a very honorable uh, attitude and belief to have at the time when, you know, you can tell your family might be struggling like most families did in 2008. And so now you can look at that and say, okay, well, now I'm in a different situation that served me well, right? We got through it. I feel like I did my part as a son. I've right? What, what I could do, I felt like I did it. Now I'm in a new situation. Does that belief and the corresponding behaviors and actions, does that serve me in my long term? Is it good to have? Or am I okay to let that belief go? Can I let can I just let that go and and start believing something different now? Yeah, yeah. And that's what we all have to do. We have to reassess, we have to pick what's in our future best interest. And that might not be what was in our past best interest. So thank you for sharing that. Seriously, that was so, so good. No, man, it's uh, it's just my pleasure. I mean, as you said, like even if one person benefits from this, I'm more than happy to be vulnerable. It's a little bit of an emotional moment for me right now as well. So when you said 90% emotion, you like hit it straight on the dot, you know, like a lot of emotions were rushing up um, and it's like your mind starts playing all these different images from your childhood or whatever. Um, but yeah, as long as someone benefits from this, I'm more than happy to be a little more vulnerable, you know? Um, so yeah, man, really appreciate you for, uh, getting That's it out amazing, of me. Dude. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, everybody, I just got to say this again, like everybody, like we, everybody, it's uncomfortable for everybody, Yeah. but you have to, you have to want your future 
bad enough that you're willing to get uncomfortable and challenge your beliefs. I've gone through that process myself and it's very uncomfortable. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but that is the way, like that's the pathway to do it. And if anybody took anything from this podcast, like just one thing, it would be to reassess what you believe about money and why, and decide if you want to still believe it or you want to change it. That would be like, that would make the most, most impact than anything else we could say today on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Uh, I'm a little emotional right now. I'm not going to lie. Um, in all honesty. Um, but we, I just want to get some more stuff in. I know that even if they listen to this, it's going to be incredible for them. Uh, cause you're seeing like a live example of, it's literally like you're coaching me right now as you speak. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. And I do want to speak about maybe, do you, do you suggest any books as such that someone who's on a financial literacy journey that they should maybe start reading? I know we spoke a little bit about a rich dad, poor dad, but any other suggestions that you have for someone who's doing their own research? So, um, so there's, there's a book that really dives into the mindset of money. Um, it's actually called Mind Over Money, I believe, um, by Dr. Brad Klons. I just want to get that title right. So I'm pulling up my Audible right now. Um, yeah, Mind Over Money. He's one of the leaders in financial psychology, and he helps go through these and shares real examples. Um, so for mindset, that would be the book to go for. Um, if you want to look at like nuts and bolts, like really practical things that are that are relevant to millennials. I would look at books like I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Um, he has great approach for, you know, our current generations yeah. to approach money and money decisions and like just cut through a lot of the noise that's out there. So those would be two books I think I would recommend. No, hundred percent. That was, that was beautifully put. And I want to say from that, we speak a little bit more on, we may have covered this a little bit, but with your clients that you've worked, what is maybe a misconception that you've seen where you're just like, why does this still exist after so many years of iterations of like financial literacy as a whole? Like, why does this still exist? Maybe like a common misconception that you've seen. Hmm. Uh, one of them, one of them is a lot of millennials are afraid to invest at all. Um, I've noticed a trend where a lot of them just have, they're saving money. Right, so they're doing a good thing. They're saving money, but they're just putting it in a bank account. So it's earning like 0.1% interest. And, and they just, like, they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they're scared to invest because they see it as risky. Yeah. And that's a huge misconception and a huge missed opportunity. Like, if that money could have been growing for the last five years instead of sitting in your bank account, and then you compound that over the next 30 years, like, that is very significant, you know? And, and so this misconception that investing in the stock market is, is risky. Um, I'm not going to tell you that it's not risky, right? Um, but it's not like a gamble, I guess I would say. Like a lot of people think it is, it is a gamble, yeah. right? And it's very similar to gambling. And it's just not. Yeah. It's not like gambling. There are di different ways to invest in the market. And there are certain ways that you, that are definitely very much like gambling. But like by and large, if you understand long-term growth, you understand risk and reward, and you understand what you're investing in, then it's not a gamble. It's a calculated risk that you're taking where you have very much an expected return, expected long-term return, 
and you're willing to, to, you know, go through some of the bumps and dips that you're going to experience like 2008 or this year with the pandemic where the, the market was just crazy. Yeah. But it's not a gamble. If you educate yourself around some basic principles, like it's a very good investment, not just, just, it's not just risky gamble. Does that make sense? That's yeah. one that's super common. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that there's a, there's a misconception and also it's a thing that when, when you buy stock, normally people tend to buy it when it's super high. And then when it's low, they just sell everything away. The, I guess from what I've read is that when it actually gets low, you should be buying even more and more and more because you know, <laughs> it, when it gets high, I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about emotion yeah. versus logic. That's a prime example. Yeah. Like, okay. So during the pandemic from the end of February, to I think the 23rd of March was the low point of the recent market drop, okay? The market dropped, I don't even know, it was more than 30%, um, like the S&P 500, for example. Yeah. In about a three weeks time, like that is a precipitous drop and it's extremely scary, yeah. okay? And so is it logical to sell out at that time? Well, looking at the long term, no. Every time it's dropped like that, it's come back. Yeah. And if you sell that time, then you are essentially losing 30%, like you're locking in a loss of 30 plus percent, right? Yeah. But that's when emotions take over. Fear takes over. It's like, well, I don't want to lose everything else. What if the market completely implodes and I lose 100%? And they're scared about that. And it's fear. Yeah. That's what it's driven by. And so they sell, Right. Well, what happened, all the experts were saying it started coming back last week of March yeah. and the experts are like, well, it's probably going to drop again in April. We're probably going to retest those lows, maybe go lower. Yeah. Okay. So it starts going up, starts going up, keeps going up, keeps going up and it bounces back. If you look at the charts, it's like a perfect V. Okay. So like within two months, the market was back. You have the same people jumping in and it wasn't perfect. It was like, right up and down and stuff. You have the same people jumping back in because they don't want to miss out on the growth. Mm. So they sold at a 30% discount yeah. and now they're buying at like, you know, a 15 or 20% premium <laughs> yeah. to get back in. Yeah. Those little decisions over the span of 30 to 40 years are what completely destroy mm. portfolios. Yeah. And it's all emotion, man. Yeah. It's fear and greed in Right in a trade-off, like oh, I don't want to miss out. I got to put it all in. Yeah. Then it drops. Oh shoot, I got to sell out. I don't want to lose it all. I'm afraid. Goes back up. Greed. I want it. I want in. Right. It anyway. Yeah. It's fascinating. That is. I mean, you kind of summed up like what 95 percent of the world is doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty interesting to see that the information is out there. Like it's in the books. It's in that. It's in everything. But people just somehow don't. And as you said, the 90 percent emotion aspect. So yeah, like. Uh, that was beautifully said. And of course, like we're on a time crunch, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. I've already taken up 45 minutes extra. Um, Good, so uh, I just want to ask this one question. Like, what is the impact that you want to leave behind within the financial coaching space as a whole? I think that, again, not only does the financial industry right now lack a focus on the younger generations to their detriment, like literally to the tune of millions of dollars, right? Of, of getting a plan in place early in life versus later. Um, not only is there a lack of help there, but there is nobody addressing the emotional side of money that actually changes behavior. And so the, I see in the future, um, which is why I left the investment management industry to start 
my business doing financial coaching, I see the future of hundreds of thousands of financial coaches helping people walk through why they do what they do, that gap between the knowledge and the doing, helping bridge that gap so people can actually have abundance financially, right? They can fill their potential and, and reach true fulfillment in life. And again, that's not through amassing large quantities of wealth necessarily, but it's through using wealth to live a fulfilled life, spending more time and having more experiences with family, giving your time or money to causes that are important to you. Um, so I see hundreds of thousands of financial coaches coming out that can help people bridge that gap. And I ultimately, I would like to, I would like to help create an additional trillion dollars worth of net worth in people, I would like to do it by 2030. And the way that I need to do that is if I can help one person make a simple change so they have an extra million dollars at retirement, and I help a thousand people do that, and I also help a thousand coaches come into the industry and help their own people, then that will add up to a trillion dollars. And that is something that motivates me like that gets me out of bed in the morning dave i just want to say one thing um you've already impacted me in this episode right now it's like this has honestly been one of the most emotional episodes for me personally so as you said you've already impacted me one another life that you've impacted already so i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart man if i was if you weren't virtual right now i would give you a hug <laughs> right there virtual hug right there virtual hug um but yeah man i just want to say thank you thank you thank you so much for taking the time out to record this twice and yeah man just to sort of end it off i don't want to take up too much of your time uh tell us where our listeners can find you yeah i w- once again devish thank you so much man i i'm happy to be here and spread this message and i love what you're doing with the podcast i think it's so important um yeah i'm i'm very active on linkedin so you can find me, Dave Lowell, CFP on LinkedIn. Um, and then I also have a free gift. If anybody wants to check this out, um, you can go. It's a 30-day money challenge. And it takes you step-by-step through kind of figuring out your self-beliefs about money, the whole process we've talked about, and then doing some actual nuts and bolts to get you on the right path. Um, and you can find that at upyourmoneygame.net slash money challenge. So www.upyourmoneygame.net slash money challenge and, um, and start getting your financial life in order. Awesome, man. I'm going to put those links below everyone. Uh, so you can check those out as well. Again, thank you, Dave, so much for this. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Devish. Take care, man. If you liked any part of that, please, please, please leave us a review. It will mean the world to us. Please let us know your thoughts, how you think we can improve and continue providing more and more value to our community because we are here to serve you and make sure that you have the best time possible and continue progressing within your journey. Thank you very much.